Father God, thank you so much for your sheer mercy in sending your son to save us. Help us to be more and more thrilled by him and everything he has done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. During the troubles in Northern Ireland, the provisional IRA planted a bomb in a building during the Remembrance Day Parade in 1987. The bomb exploded during the middle of the parade and it killed 11 people and injuring 64. One of the people injured was a man named Gordon Wilson. When the bomb exploded, he and his daughter Marie were crushed under the weight of rubble as the building collapsed on them. And Marie was fatally injured. After five minutes, they were pulled out from the rubble. But Marie died later in the hospital. On the same day, in an emotional interview with the BBC, Gordon Wilson described the anguish of the last conversation he had with her. He told them, she held my hand tightly, and she said, Daddy, I love you so much. And to the astonishment of his listeners, he went on to say, I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. Dirty sort of talk is not going to bring her back. She is in heaven, and we shall meet again. I will pray for these men tonight and every night. Now, this interview became a turning point during the troubles in Northern Ireland, as people were amazed by Gordon Wilson's amazing forgiveness. And we, we hear stories like Gordon Wilson, and we're rightfully amazed by them. But at the same time, we know just how hard it can be to forgive others, especially in such devastating situations. So we ask, is forgiveness only possible for the spiritually elite, for the Gordon Wilsons of our world? Surely there must be a limit to how much we can forgive one another. And I think that's the heartbeat of Peter's question in verse 21. Look down on me um, in your Bibles if you've, opened, if you've closed them. Verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, the current wisdom of the day was to forgive up to three times. So in some sense, Peter thought he was being generous. Now, if someone sins against you seven times, and then seven times comes back again and again and pleads for forgiveness, doesn't it seem rather dubious and rather half-hearted? So Peter's question resonates with us, doesn't it? Is there a limit to how much we can forgive one another? And we find, we find this resonates because forgiveness can be so painful and so costly. It's easy to feel resentment and bitter to those who've wronged us. And we can often bear grudges with people in our family, our friends, our colleagues, sometimes for even many years. And sadly, we're not immune from this, even in the church, to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, these grievances can come from a variety of places. Now, I've got a few case studies for us. So maybe we're like unloved Ursula, who has been coming to church for many years, but she feels unloved and, cared for and uncared for. She feels bitterness in her heart because no one seems to take an interest. No one seems to go beneath the shallow presentries. And it really stings because the church is where Christ's love is meant to be embodied. Or maybe we feel like overworked Oscar, 
who's under great pressure at work from his overbearing boss. And again, he feels resentment for being asked to do so much at church. He really doesn't enjoy serving at that crash, but they keep asking him to do the rotor. And it cuts deep, because no one ever seems to notice or appreciate it. Or maybe we're like jealous Jermaine. <laughs> I was trying to think of uh, people we didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if you're called Jermaine. <laughs> um, maybe we're like jealous Jermaine, and we're bitter to everyone who seems to have it sorted. And they never seem to have any problems. And unlike overworked Oscar, we feel resentment for never being asked at all. We think we'd, we'd love to serve, but we just never get asked. Or maybe we're like sensitive season. And people just don't know how hurtful they can be with their words, how brash they can be. Maybe we relate to some of this. And resentment can come through personality clashes as well. I remember last year working as a church apprentice at St. Andrew the Great, and we would have loads and loads of practical tasks, setting up chairs and tables, cooking and so on. One of my fellow CAs was Chris, and he was very people-orientated, and I'm very much on the task-orientated side of things. So more often than not, I would get so annoyed at Chris for not pulling his weight. But more often than not, he was having a really fruitful, Christ-centered conversation. So maybe you can relate to some of the examples above. So doesn't Peter's question strike a chord with us? Is there a limit to how much we can forgive one another? But Jesus' response is so surprising. Look down with me at verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, I don't think we're meant to take Jesus' words literally here. I don't think we're meant to keep a book called all the people who have wronged me, and if we get to 77, then cut them off from, from our lives. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying that. But in other words, there should be no limit to our forgiveness to one another. And we, and we hear this, and doesn't this sound impossible? Forgiveness doesn't come naturally to us. Is Jesus saying, just be a doormat and let people walk all over you? Well, I don't think that's what he's saying. Look down at verse 15 in the context. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. For reconciliation to be possible, there must be an acknowledgement of fault. But say you do go through the lengthy procedure of verses 15 to 17, getting more and more people involved, and again and again, someone wrongs you, and again and again, they seek forgiveness. Well, Jesus' answer is, we should forgive them without limit. But how can this be possible? Well, in answer to these questions, Jesus tells us a parable with a most important truth we need to hear. God has forgiven us a monumental debt. God has forgiven us a monumental debt. Now, if we don't grasp this important truth, we'll never be able to forgive without limit. Let's have a look at the story then. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. Now, on hearing this, everyone's jaws would have dropped to the floor. The sum that the man owed was simply astronomical. 
A talent was 33 kilos of gold. That's equivalent to 20 years' wages, maybe one million pounds in today's terms. And the man didn't owe the man, the king, just one talent, but 10,000. Now, if my maths is correct, that would come out to an even one billion pounds. 10 billion, actually, made a mistake there. <laughs> Ironic. <laughs> it would take the man 200,000 years to pay the king back. I don't know if you've ever had debt trouble. Hopefully it's never like this. This man's debt was monumental and utterly laughable. And verse 25, since he was not able to pay, obviously, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children be sold to repay the debt. Now this wouldn't even come close. But the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, the idea that the servant could pay back the debt is simply ridiculous because his debt was so enormous. There was absolutely no way he could pay it back. And this highlights the king's mercy all the more. The servant's master took pity on him and cancelled the debt and let him go. The king had every right to do what he had ordered, selling the man and his possessions into slavery. But instead, he acted in abundant, merciful generosity. To the man who had either squandered or lost his fortune, the man let him go. But Jesus' parable doesn't end there. And next we see the servant's outrageous response to the king's, to the king's mercy. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Denarii was a day's wage. So a hundred denarii was about three months uh, working. So a sizable amount. But mere pennies compared to the amount he owed the king. Virtually nothing. And his attitude towards his fellow servant who owed him such a pathetic amount is outrageous. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. Did you notice this is exactly the same words he had before? But instead of acting in mercy, he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When I told this story to my sister, she said, what a cheeky bugger. <laughs> That's, exact, that's her words, not mine. Um, the servant's actions are so outrageous because he had been forgiven the most monumental debt and now he had throttled his fellow servant over mere pennies in comparison. The king's mercy should have led him to show mercy to his fellow servant. So verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And after hearing this story, we too may be outraged similarly at the servant's behaviour. But Jesus pulls the rug from our feet in verse 35 because we're exactly like the unforgiving servant in the parable. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. We too have been forgiven an enormous debt. 
Now, it's important to note the difference between correlation and causation. You get in trouble if you mix them up. So many years ago, people used to think that trees generated wind because they saw the branches moving and they thought, oh, it's windy, so the trees must be generating wind. But we know now that the wind is, uh, causes the tree branches to move. So forgiving one another doesn't cause us to be forgiven. Rather, forgiving one another correlates with how much we've been forgiven. The forgiven community are to be a forgiving community. And so the first step in learning to forgive others is recognizing that we too had an enormous debt, our sin. Now we all know that we sin, but don't we often think, is our sin really so serious? Is our sin really so serious? Now in our culture, the word sin has lost all its biblical meaning. We tend to think of sin something as naughty but nice, a guilty pleasure, something acceptable. But sin is more than doing wrong. It's outright rebellion against the most glorious, majestic God. At its heart, it's not merely rule-breaking, but rule-making. It's living as though we were the ruler of of our lives. And we say to God, shove off. We say to him, get off your throne. Now, sin is so serious because of the greatness of the person we sin against. If I went out and kicked a cat, I hope you would call the RSVCA. If I went out and kicked a baby, you would shudder in horror, I hope. If I went out and kicked the queen, it would be worse still. You see, the seriousness of our sin correlates the greatness of the person we sin against. So how much more serious is it when we spit in the face of the most glorious, merciful king? How much more serious is it when we try to dethrone God? It only took Adam and Eve one sin to be banished from God's presence in the garden. But we haven't committed only one. He committed sin thousands of times. So how much more culpable are we? And like the servant in the parable trying to pay back the 10,000 talents, there is no way for us to pay back this debt. We cannot cover our sin with our good deeds. Say we were drastically injured in a car accident and we had shards of glass into our side, a gaping wound. How useless and ineffective it would be to put a tiny plaster over that. In the same way, our good deeds cannot cover over our sin. It's like trying to clean a room with a muddy brush. And even our good deeds are tainted by our selfishness and our pride. And God's holiness demands perfect obedience. To love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our minds. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't do this even for five minutes. And so we had an enormous debt. But as the king in the story had mercy on the servant, so the king of heaven has showered infinite mercy on us. In the costliest act of mercy, God sent his only son to die on the cross in our place so that we could be completely and absolutely forgiven. On the cross, Jesus, the perfectly righteous one, bore all of our sin. He died bearing all of our selfishness and greed. He died bearing all of our sexual immorality. He died bearing all the ways we mistreat others and abuse others. He died for all the things we're deeply ashamed of. On the cross, Jesus didn't only bear our sin, 
He faced all of God's righteous anger in our place. God's anger isn't like our anger, but it's his settled, controlled response to evil. And it should have been poured out on us. Now, imagine a gigantic cup, thousands of miles across, and reaching to the heavens, filled to the brim with white, hot anger. And one drop from this cup would be agonizing pain. Yet on the cross, Jesus drained this cup to its very dregs. Now, Jesus wasn't some poor victim. He, in perfect obedience, gladly gave his life to save us. He could have gone back at any moment. He could have called down an entire legion of angels to protect him. Yet, on the cross, Jesus emptied himself of infinite glory to pay for the penalty of our sin. And God has done far more than cancel the debt of our sin. He has credited us with Christ's perfect righteousness to our account by being joined to him. A perfect righteousness that washed the feet of his betrayer. A righteousness that even prayed for those who executed him. So when God looks at us in Christ, he doesn't see the ugliness of our sin. He sees the magnificent perfection of his son. And we've not only been forgiven, we've been adopted as God's very own children, sharing all the same privileges of access to our Heavenly Father as the Lord Jesus. And it doesn't stop there. We can go on and on and on for all eternity, and we would never be able to count our blessings in Christ. And so, if you're not a Christian here today, can you see just how extravagant God's love is for us? Look at the offer on on hold here. Christ's very life for us. And if you're a Christian here today, can you see that we've been forgiven the most monumental debt? And our second heading flows out from this. We'll be spending the rest of our time. We have been forgiven a monumental debt. So forgive one another without limit. Like everything in the Christian life, it all flows from his grace. It's so different from other religions. It's not what we do for God, but what God has done for us in Christ. When we see just how much God has lavished his mercy on us, that's that's when we're able to see just how small the grievances are against us. However, if we forget just how much we've forgiven then the wrongs committed against us can seem enormous. Now, it's very easy to get tunnel vision. So when you're driving in the car and you go through a tunnel, you you can only see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's the same when we forget about God's monumental forgiveness. We only see the, the grievances against us. We only have that tunnel vision. What we need is a change of perspective. Now, have you heard the expression, don't make mountains out of molehills? Often we can blow things so out of proportion. Now, it's so saddening to see that many families have fallen out over the smallest of things. But when we see that they're just molehills, compared to the mountain of God's grace, it makes all the difference, doesn't it? Only God's grace can transform us to forgive without limit. So remember Gordon Wilson at the start and the extraordinary forgiveness he showed to those who had killed his daughter in that explosion. The reason he was able to forgive is because he knew just how much he had been forgiven. Now, it's an extreme example, so, but how much more can we forgive those in the church? So what could we say to unloved Ursula? 
Well, it's painful when, when you feel unloved by our brothers and sisters. But look at how much God has loved you and forgiven you. So how can you bear a grudge? What can we say to jealous remain? Remember the grievances are mere pennies. They're mere pennies compared to the monumental debt you've been forgiven. So as we come to, to a close, perhaps we're conscious of people who we've been holding grudges against for a long time. Or maybe it's the right time to go and forgive them. Why not ask the Lord afresh to show you just how much has lavished his grace upon you? Let's, let's, uh, let's pray as we close. Father God, thank you so much for pouring out your grace on us so abundantly through the Lord Jesus. Help us to see the seriousness of our sin against you and the wonder of your boundless grace. Now would that grace please transform us to then forgive others without limit. In Jesus' name, amen.